Well, welcome everybody, and thank you for being here with us. I want everybody to listen and pay attention. That sucked. You can't stop to run. You can't rush the passer. You jump the short. I mean, you tell me about defense. You tell me. How it playing. And I'm telling you right now, we're going to get our ass beat. That's what's going to happen until we decide that we're going to play all the time. So I'm going to need somebody to step in and be able to pick the up. And we couldn't pick the up today. We couldn't do Now you guys decide what you're going to do. What kind of team you want to have. Oh! And it's picked off by Cushing. Cushing to the five. Touchdown, Houston! Fake toss. Watson throws, caught, and this is Hopkins into Dallas territory. On his feet, look at that, a a whirling dervish to the 27-yard line. Unbelievable! And welcome to another episode of the Turn Up For What podcast talking your Houston Texans straight from the Great British Isles. We're back again this week for another fan round table we've got four gentlemen right across the globe a couple of different accents including my own so we'll uh we'll do our best to talk you through it for wherever you're listening to this there was some great uh great feedback last week on the podcast so we're here again to try and make some sense of what's happened and where the hell all this is going uh for another week uh so we'll start off top left here matthew do you want to introduce yourself and uh what made you, what was the moment that got you coming back to this sort of addiction that we're probably all going to share? So I've been a Texans fan since 2015. I uh, followed the league for a year as a neutral um, before that. And I went into the 2015 season looking for a team to support. Um, and I d- discovered uh, Hard Knocks. And when I realised that the Texans who were featured that year with the newest franchise, I was a new fan there was just no turning back from that moment on. Felt like a, a the right marriage for me. Uh, the moment that kept me coming back was uh, the first game I went to at NRG Stadium in 2019, which was the game against the Falcons when Bob McNair was inducted into the Ring of Honor. And oh, all right, I was at that one. I was yeah. excited before the game. I got to play catch with JJ. Yeah, I got to play catch with JJ Watt, um, which was just amazing. And it was our second biggest win in franchise history. And the whole team, I thought, just clicked that day. Um, and I had an amazing feeling leaving the stadium. I'll just never forget that feeling walking out of that stadium. And that's why I keep coming back. Yeah, I remember that day. It all felt like it was kind of coming together, finally. Um, <laughs> and it did for another week or so. And then, uh, yeah, all kind of taken a bit of a different turn since then. Um, Gary, you want to kick us off next? Coming to you from Ireland. Yeah, yeah. My name's Gary. I've been a Houston Texans fan since 2013. I just so happened to be watching. I think the late game for us over here was about 25 past nine, and we were playing against the San Diego Chargers at the time. I think we. Oh, yeah. I think we won it out. High scoring, 32-29. I think. Cushing had a cracking day that day and I just kind of fell in love with the team straight away. Um, there hasn't been a whole lot to reel off the memory reel since then, but I think the kind of moment that stands out was the the game against the Cowboys when Hopkins catch and run to set up the winning field goal. I think that was maybe two or three years ago now at this stage. 
But um, other than that, maybe the game in against the Colts in 2016, which we forced it to overtime and again win a field goal. So since then, hasn't been a whole lot to kind of that's stuck in the memory bank. Yeah, I think I've, I've always been incredibly lucky the games I've gone to because I think it was at the Cowboys 2018. I remember that. I mean, to be honest, it was the late kickoffs. By the time it gets to overtime, you're lucky if you remember most of it. Um, I remember having to watch the Hopkins thing back the next day. Um, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and yeah, it was in Indianapolis as well. And that could have been Bob could have got sacked that day if uh, Frank Wright didn't go for it on fourth down. So, uh, yeah, yeah, I've seen, yeah. A few, seen a few uh, yeah, ones that you correct. come out feeling a bit exhausted. But... Uh, no, good to have you on, mate. And um, Vera, you're on Central Time, uh, but what's your texting story, my man? Came originally from India to the United States to pursue graduate school, so I had really no idea about what football was about until I decided to spend all my first year savings from my job uh, into a Texan season's tickets. I bought it on the I bought it on from a secondhand person, uh, and then I loved it so much I bought it a second year. So that was my introduction to Houston Texans football. Um, but then I always kept buying a couple of, uh, you know, games each season. And the one thing that still keeps me getting coming back was, uh, being at the stadium when JJ Watt did the pick six of, uh, Andy Dalton in the 2011 playoffs, right? I mean, that was our first playoff game ever and watching JJ Watt written that stuff. I mean, there's nothing anybody can do to take that experience away from us. You know, we might, we might suck for the rest of, rest of my life that I'm watching the Texans, but that is one thing that will always keep me supporting. I mean, this is also the longest I've lived in any other city, and I, I can see why there's a bitterness against the other AFC South rivals. But it's all it's all worth it, right? It's it's like watching the English Premier League and and seeing the rivalry between Arsenal and Manchester United and Chelsea fans and Liverpool. So it's it's all it's all fun and games. But yeah, yeah, you know, I'm, yeah, I remember watching that one on the. Uh, on TV, uh, that playoff game, and that was yeah, it was kind of that was a moment you kind of felt like they were an established club, really. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it seems like a long time ago, and we'll obviously see them at some point this week. But um, final guest this week, uh, Branson, are you there, mate? From the back row, Texans, how you doing? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. I'm, uh, I guess, the longest tenured Texans fan here. I've been a fan since 2002. I am uh, born and raised in Texas, uh, halfway between Houston and Dallas. You know, a lot of my family was always Cowboys fans. And when they started off, I was 12 years old. You know, at that time in life, you're everything against what your family's basically doing. So, of course, I wanted to jump on the Texans bandwagon right away. And, well, Opening inaugural day, they beat the Cowboys, and I was hooked ever since. I haven't turned back, and like you, I've even turned my fandom into a podcast. So, yeah, well, that's it. I think it, it does help sometimes. I think it is, it's difficult. I think I, I don't know about you, Brazil, but I, I certainly found it difficult last year. And don't get me wrong, with like found new listeners all the time, and and really grateful for people that you know reach out and and you know you guys coming on. But last year was really tough because. You had a position where the season was kind of over after week four. Um, you knew you were kind of spinning your wheels yeah. because you had an interim coach. And and you still kind of feel like that in many ways because I don't think it's a lot changed. But um, did, did you find that last year? It's just it's kind of tough really to, one, to find things to talk about um, because you didn't have the draft pick to, to come along with a bad season. That's the silver lining. 
Um, so the, the, it felt like at no point there was any positives. And then I think since we've gotten to this off-season as well, it just feels like it's been one slap in the face probably after another. No, absolutely. Yeah, it's kind of been continuous even, you know, since Hopkins left. You know, we were fortunate to have something to talk about all off-season long the past two off-seasons. Not many teams can do that, but during the year, it, yeah, once week four happened, it was it was hard to find something to talk about and find a silver lining. Yeah, and I, I think, I suppose, you know, I've talked about it's probably year 0.5 or year point two point or 0.25 of the rebuild this off-season, and um, I suppose my, my question to you guys would be, what's the one thing that you are looking forward to um, this year, or, what, or what's the best case scenario the Texans can take out of 2021? What do you think, Gary? I think the... It's, it's not a whole lot to get excited about, but I think the requirement of Lovey Smith coming in as the assistant head coach, the coordinator, the defensive coordinator, I think it's something that I'm, I'm somewhat excited about. And... It's just nice to get a bit of support for having to constantly run Johnson up the middle for three or four yards with the acquisition of um, was it Mark no Mark Ingram sorry um, it's just to have a little bit of an option like I'm, I'm nothing against Johnson I think he's 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 a terrific player but I think he was always a go to and he just grows so frustrated because the defense kind of knew how to kind of deal with him. And shut it down and just the fans kind of grew frustrated because we didn't really have a lot of other options our probably best receiver had been suspended we hadn't really got a whole lot got a lot going on so i am quite excited to see him um i know he's not probably the most talked about player that we've acquired over the last couple of months but he's somebody that i'm really looking forward to seeing and matt what do you think what's what do you think to, at the end of the season what do you think is the one thing that we can take out of this and and you think well you know, we've found a positive in, in that. I have a very particular answer to this, which I think is going to and goes against the grain of everything I've heard since the draft. But I think Davis Mills has to be the thing that you take some excitement from this season. You know, if you read his draft profile and if you even watch, you know, I watched the, the NFL Network draft and, you know, Daniel Jeremiah is there saying, if this guy goes back to Stanford, he's a top 10 pick next season. So, okay, perhaps he's not a top 10 pick this season, but if he can turn into that player, then you've hit a home run. You've had an absolute steal in the draft. He has to be the thing that you're excited about. If we are in a situation at the end of this season where he hasn't played seven, eight games, I think it's a huge missed opportunity for the Houston Texans. He has to have some playing time. And for me, he has to be the thing that we're excited about because Tyrod Taylor is not your long-term answer. But you, I think Cesaro, you know, Nick, you know, he made a statement when he drafted him, you know, with his first pick. And I think he has to be the thing you get excited about. I know that is very contrary to the opinion of a lot of Texans fans, that are, you know, kind of reading the forums, listening to your podcast and stuff. But for me, it's, it's all about Davis Mills. Um, I think I will, I'll have, a, I have got some reservations about it, but the ones I'm hoping to see sort of pan out earlier would be the, the draftees in both uh, Nico Collins and Brevin Jordan. Um, but what I'm hoping is 
there's, like you said, there's enough of a sample size to go into next year to at least make a call like, hey, do we see this guy, Davis Mills, as our longer term answer? But really to see the development, his development happening with um, uh, Pep Hamilton, especially if Tim Kelly can stay out of his way, right? And I think Tim Kelly is too much in the Bill O'Brien mold, but if uh, Pep Hamilton is allowed to do what he's, what he's done with uh, uh, Justin Herbert last year, if he can repeat at least a fraction of it with uh, Davis Mills, at least there's some optimism going into the offseason. What do you think, Branson? Do you think Davis Mills is or has the potential to be the answer? And if you had to give it a, a out of 10 or out of 100, what would you say the likelihood of that is? Because where he was picked would suggest the odds are stacked against him. Oh, no, for sure. The the odds are against him, and no one outside of Houston is believing in him by any means. Um, but he has all the potential to be there. And like you said, had he gone back to Stanford, you know, he probably would have been a first round pick next year. Um, I'm going to actually be one of the rare few that says, I don't want to see him play at all this year. I want him to develop the entire year and sit back. And if we are in a rebuild, you know, throwing, drafting a quarterback next year, isn't going to help either. You need pieces around him before you bring someone in or it's, going to look like David Carr. I, I disagree. I, I think I think you have to see, you know, Cully, if he is the long-term answer, amazing. I don't think any of us really think he is going to be the head coach in three seasons' time. But if so, if he's gone at the end of this season, if he has a stinger or if he stays for another year or so, I think you have to see what you've got with him. We know Tyrod is not the long-term answer. If you're going to trip... The reason that I think you have to see what you have with Mills is this year is because if you trade Deshaun before the 2022 draft, one of the touted locations is the Dolphins. What happens if you get Tua back in a trade? You want to know if you've got Mills as your answer first before you're asking, you know, deciding whether or not you want Tua to walk through the door as a replacement. So for me, I think you have to see what he has. I think Pep Hamilton did wonders with Justin Herbert. And for me, I think you just have to give him a swing of the bat. And if he doesn't work out with Cully, if he plays six, seven games and he absolutely stinks out of the joint, then you've got no qualms whatsoever to uh, Darnold walking through the door because you know that this guy has not been up to scratch. But I think you have to see. And I think Cesario will want to see as well. It's it's his, you know, it's his first ever pick as a GM. I think he will want to see it as well. Gary, what what week do you bring him in? If you do bring him in, because for me, I, I think it's it's the rhetoric's been there. Or and don't get me wrong, there is some opinions out there that I do trust in the draft, and there's not many, but there is opinions out there that have said that you know he can goes if he goes back another year, then he, he makes it. Well, my, my, my I suppose my questions are two parts. One, why did he not go back, and why did he come out if he dro- drops the third? Because most of these guys, the other agents, have an idea that will happen to them. And then secondly, I think what and if 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 just say he does have the talent, hypothetically, Gary, how where'd you where'd you put him in? Because he's not he's not even through OTAs. He's he's number three on the depth chart right now by all accounts from training camp. I think Branson is is kind of correct that although with the season that we're projected to kind of have, it's a case of well we've nothing to lose, put him in. But for this guy coming in, 
he does sort of have everything to to use to lose, you know. So if you look at a schedule, it's it's not exactly it's not exactly easy. Like I'm quite worried about us for a couple of weeks before a bye week. I think we've Miami Chargers and go and see JJ then as well. It's where do you put him in? Like it's so hard to say. You can't put him really in in the divisional games because they're just so important. Would you throw him in in week two again in Cleveland? It's hard to say. I'd be on on the bus with Bronson. I probably wouldn't be playing him this year. I'd let him kind of learn and kind of just get get used to how things kind of other pieces move around them, and then maybe introduce him if maybe sometime next year. I wouldn't really play him this year because he has everything to lose, because the fans will turn on him. They will, you know. So unfortunately, they will. Um, because the season isn't going to be an easy one. I think that it's going to be a quite frustrating season that if you do put him in there and he does make mistakes, which he's going to do, I think some people will turn on him and he could destroy his confidence before he even gets going in the league. So I wouldn't play in this year, personally. Yeah, and Branson, do you, do you buy that, that the fact that if he'd gone back, he would have, you know, in all likelihood, put, put himself in, in the reckoning for a top 10 pick in the draft? Because for the tape I watched, I only watched three or four games really in detail on all 22. Um, and I talked about with that with Texans' thoughts on, on here. And, you know, yeah, there was flashes, but but Branson, I just don't see, I don't see enough to make me comfortable that that, 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 that projection would happen to a top 10 pick in a year's time. Sure. No, I, I agree. There's definitely flashes of greatness. And then there's parts where you're wondering, you know, should he have been a third round pick? But, I mean, look at Zach Wilson, look at Joe Burrow. You know, you have, guys who have come out of nowhere. He's been a top recruit coming out of high school. He was the number one recruit in high school as a quarterback. He he has the pedigree and the tools there. So yes, I, I do think he would have worked his way into the first round. Um, and I'll play devil's advocate to myself here just for the sake of argument. If you're putting him in, you do it after the bye week. There's five home games I believe after the bye week so you're at least setting him up with some success that way as opposed to taking him on the road constant um I was leaning on the bye week as as the point to transition from Tyrod to to Davis Mills um Tyrod is he's a he's a steady guy but I think at best he's like a 500 kind of guy and with this team it could be even lower now if we are you know, two and eight after week 10, where we're hitting the bye week, I'm like, you're not going to get any more new answers from, from Tyrod. So that is probably a good time to transition. I'm like, Hey, are you going to go two and 15 with this guy? Or are you going to improve to like maybe six, you know, five and 12 or something like that. Right. And that at least gives you a sample size. Like, is there something to work with? Because if this guy is the answer, then you can persevere with him for at least you know, a couple of more seasons and see if that pans out, that talent pans out. And if it's not, Bitch all that stuff and you can look at, you know, drafting the, you know, whether it is a kid on Slovis or Spencer Rattler, who's got some other issues, off-field, off-field issues to deal with, or you want to just go and get the best player available. So I think there might be more options, but at least you're getting some sort of a verdict on, on Davis Mills by the, before the end of the season. And, and, and guys, what do you need to see? I think that that's probably just say hypothetically, you get him in at the bye week. He comes in, he has flashes, but I mean, in all likelihood, depended on you know the fundamental question of this team is: can they stop the run? 
can can they run the ball themselves either side of the ball just to give you a fighting chance of competitiveness this year? What do you need to see from Davis Mills in order to to even to even make you think you get about a second look and you go a different direction come the twenty two draft? In order for him to stay around next season, I think he has to come into a game and just play out of his mind. I think you have to see players react to him. I think he has to pull off some pretty difficult throws. And I think he has to keep you in a couple of games where you think, like you say, based on form, you know, we'd potentially lose. He puts up a good fight. I think you have to see teammates rally rally around him. And I think he has to put us in with a fight, with a chance of winning a game. And if he puts a couple of wins on the board as well, I think if he comes in and it's it's flat and actually you don't notice the difference between him and Tyrod, that's not the answer. I think he has to have a you have to see a step change from the team, from his results and from his play from Tyrod in order for him to be the long term answer or to give him a long term shot. Yeah, and Brent Branson, you think that is, is is that the element you need to see? You need to see a spark. You need to see game winning drives, and you need to see a guy who can lead people on the field and and and, and not even just keep you engaged, but not hurt you. But then when he does get the ball in his hands, make enough throws to go and put points on the board. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think the biggest thing is improvement. Seeing improvement from game one to the final game he plays that year, showing the ability to read the defense, pick up on certain things, just being able to learn the NFL speed, you know, how he's moving around in the pocket, his feet work. I mean, if he has terrible feet work, it next year is not going to be any better for him. He's going to get destroyed. So having improvement throughout the season and having that spark, like you said, making those throws, being able to go down the field and score points, you know, Everybody wants to see somebody go out there with four touchdowns and 350 yards. That's probably not going to happen right away. But if, you know, two touchdowns, 200 yards, no picks, absolutely, I'll take it. Vito, what, what do you what do you think is a likely expectation, say it is from the bye right to the end of the season? Take that sample size. What do you need to see to, to give the guy a bit of a – give him another chance I think he's not, we already know he's not the most mobile quarterback. He's not your, the kind of quarterbacks that are rolling out of the college framework in the last two or three years, right? He's not, he's more in the Joe Burrow mold than he's in the Deshaun Watson, um, you know, kind of mold. So, you know, good mechanics, you know, good throwing, because that's, that's basically he's going to be, he's been built as a pocket passer. So if he shows good mechanics there and like, like Branson said, if he's showing improvement, they are going to, they are not going to open up the whole playbook for him in the first couple of games. But if he's showing where he's not making the same mistake again, I and mean, they will make mistakes because they are rookies. Um, but if he's showing that he's not making the same mistake again and he's sort of improving where, you know, he's not staring down a receiver for all of 10 seconds and throwing it to him and having a pick six, right? Things like that. If he's showing improvement there, I think, I think there's something to work with. Um, Supposedly, he, during his pro day, he, he threw well in the rain and things like that. He's going to play in a lot of outside, you know, um, open dome stadiums. So, you know, if, he, if he's able to keep his poise and, you know, NFL pass rushes are way stronger, way faster than than, they, than the ones that roll out of college immediately. So, um, if he's able to generally keep poise and, you know, make some good clutch throws, I think that there's some, we can hang on to, we can clutch onto some straws there. 
And Gary, what do you think? Is, is will will there will there be enough games for Mills to to get a sample size, and will there be will there be enough around them to make to make him to make him look like a guy who belongs at this level? You just literally hit the nail on the head. Is what I'm going to say. He's only going to be as good as as the players around him, um, and that's not really a whole lot right now. But as Spirit was saying, that the, the pass rushes are just getting so faster and so stronger now that if he does have poor footwork, he's going to be really found out quite early. Like last year, we were 83 for 190 something on third downs. If you can, you can, if you can come in and start making important third downs and getting the crowd on the side, like that's an automatic win. Like he doesn't have to throw five or six touchdowns every game. You know, he just has to do the basics and work well in the pocket and make good decisions. You know, I think this year is going to be just accepting what we can when we can get it. And it's just about doing the basics sometimes. Sometimes that's what lets us down, especially on the likes of special teams, on the likes of punt return and kickoff return. That's where we're just kind of found out. If he comes in and gets a couple of third downs and get the fans on his side, well, then he can build on that. But in regards to what he has around him, it isn't a whole lot. But I think that will come with time. And obviously with, with a couple of players coming back from suspension from last year, I think... If you put them into a game that even Seattle in like say week 14, when let's be honest, the season could be kind of a dead rubber by then, it, it, it couldn't be, a, it mightn't be a bad idea, you know. So, I'd, if you were going to bring them in, I'd, I'd bring them in in kind of really small doses towards the latter end and, and see what he has. Yeah, and our new head coach, obviously, somebody touched on it there, but you know, one of his early quotes was, you know, if we have to go three and out and punt the ball, that's okay. And I think there's going to be a big focus on special teams, there'll be a big focus on running the ball and getting the ball out quick in the passing game. But in terms of your expectations, uh, Branson, in terms of David Cully, I know somebody said earlier, you don't expect him to be here in three years' time. Um, what's your expectations for David Cully and just your general thoughts on the hire? I actually love him as a coach. Um, I love his energy, what he brings to the table, his experience. The only thing I don't love about him is his age. I, I Again, I agree. I don't necessarily see him going past three seasons with us solely for that. You know, he's we've already had Rack as the oldest head coach. We don't need to continue that uh, that trend as well. Um, but I, I do, I expect a lot from him. He gets a lot out of the players he works with and – I'm excited to see what he brings. I was just going to say that I think the biggest thing that's going to show with Cully is that he has no kind of um, loyalty to the players that are in there quite at the moment because in the last couple of seasons, you see the same kind of players making the same mistakes week in, week out, and yet you turn up next Sunday and there they are ready to go again. You know, this, he doesn't have that loyalty. So that's why you're going to see so much rotation this year. And even lads coming in from this, the practice squad and, and getting a get a, getting a feel for it, you know. So I think that's got what's going to probably keep him there for maybe as one of the guys said two or three seasons. I can't see him being there um, for any much any longer than that. I don't think it's down to his age. I, I just think that let's face it, somebody better is going to come available in that time when we become a better football team. I think uh, it's a it's a it's a steady hire, right? And I think the the culture that needed to bring in into the locker room was one of trust. So I think in that sense, it's a good hire. Does he have a very high ceiling? No. I think I think we know who those hires are, and I think there's a good reason they've kept them out because you don't want to bring in a young first-time head coach and get him burned so bad that he never wants to come back and coach again. But 
one thing that's so anti-O'Brien of of uh, David Cully is the fact that he might just stay out of the the offensive and defensive coordinator's path and say, you guys just go do, I'll just be a game manager, right? Just looking at the clock, figure out when timeouts need to be taken or, or you know, whatever, things like that. I think with O'Brien, he was trying to wear too many hats, trying to be the quarterback whisperer, the offensive coordinator, the head coach and general manager and things like that. I think with Kali, maybe he knows his limitations and he's like, I'm a game manager here. My job is to just manage, make sure the, the coordinators know what they are doing and let them do their job. And that, that might be his biggest strength for now. Yeah, I think if you, if you think, well, certainly from Casario's viewpoint, and, and often it's a case that you, you take the opposite, or you take, I mean, and he is literally the antithesis of, of O'Brien's style in terms of coaching a football team. And I think if you think of the span of control in terms of, of what he's actually influenced, what he's actually getting involved with on a day-to-day basis, I think it'll be a very, very small fraction of what Bill O'Brien tried to stretch himself um, far too far. And, and I suppose it's, it, it feels like in many senses that he is just, he's a figurehead um, at this stage of his career and bringing in enemy, bringing in Eberflus might not necessarily worked out for anybody you know, at perhaps the right time. And he's kind of touched upon that as well. And he does come across as a bit of a an, an older guy who's who's you know not the most polished in front of the media. And I think that sometimes undermines him. But but Matt, in terms of the, this this rebuild and in terms of what that looks like as a plan, where do you where do you see Cully's departure and 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 how would you go about this rebuild? Because I think everybody, you know, whoever you speak to is in agreement that this is just not a one or two year deal. I think it depends on when you trade Deshaun and what you get back for Deshaun and how long this rebuild is. I think if you trade him at the end of next season, like I said before the draft, and you get a quarterback back or some really high picks, I feel like this could be a two to three year rebuild. I feel like this could be done. I feel like you could be back in the playoffs in 2024. Um, I really do believe that because I feel like you would get the the draft capital, the high picks, the blue collar, the blue chip players that you need to to lead this team forward. I think if the Deshaun situation gets messy and if this gets dragged out, and I saw some comments today that it could be 2023 before this is resolved. Um, I see Vera shaking his head and I'm in complete agreement with you there. Um, then, then it's a longer rebuild because... It, I think it all hinges on what you get back from that. For me, this is a dress rehearsal for so many players this season. Um, I think you need to address the the defence. I think we, we all know that. You have an O-line that is is fairly solid. Um, you know, with Tuntle, a left tackle, who is a, who is a blue chip player. Running back and wide receiver rooms really seem to have, they're by committee, but I feel like you've got enough depth there that you can probably get by. Um, it's the defense. It's without leaders, and it needs them. And it, and I, I, for me, if Deshaun gets traded next season, it's a it's a three year rebuild. If the Deshaun situation gets dragged out, four to five years, probably cycle through a couple of head coaches in during that process. And yeah, that that's the worst case scenario for me. But I'm hoping that two to three years. We can um, we can get back into contention for those playoff places. Gary, where do you stand on that? What do you think? What do you think's the the likely sort of shape of the curve? Curve. 
it kind of makes going into next season, although you want us to kind of succeed and do well, it comes a point in time in the season where you start thinking about next year and high draft picks, you know. So um, I think this year is just about trying to get to know different players who probably hadn't had much opportunities before and seeing what they can do. And like uh, Pierre-Louise and stuff like that coming in, um, like the, like the Ross Blacklock and stuff like that. I'm really excited to see this year again. Um, I think it's a two or three year thing too. I, I really do. I, I'd love for Cully to hang around, but I, I just don't know. I really don't know. You don't want it to be, you don't want to say, oh, well, if it's a two or three year thing, you kind of want it to be an overnight success. You want us to start being excited on a Sunday again, watching a football team, pulling on your jersey at five o'clock. Because let's face it, we play at six o'clock most Sundays over here. You know, you just want to get excited to watch a football team again. Like, I was only thinking today, like, when's the last time we had a, a kickoff return or a punt return for more than 30, 40 yard gain? It's just, it's just no excitement with it anymore. It's just that, oh, you get excited for 20 minutes and then the game is on its ass. And then you're like, okay, well, there's maybe next week. I don't want it to be two or three years before. That's not a thing anymore. But unfortunately, I think it, it I think it is. The biggest thing I think of last season, the biggest um, thing for the owners last year, I think that's just no fans in the stadium. I really do because things could have rent really south pretty quick if there were 60,000, people in NRG. It really could have done quite easily. I think this year it's going to be how long before they start turning on the coach, the players, again, obviously the owners when results start go, don't go their way. So I don't want it to get to that stage, but I think it's inevitable. I really do, and hopefully in two or three years, let's face it, we're going to have the same owners that just things are a bit better and some changes were made in the back room, you know, so that's what's probably what's most important. That's where the big changes need to be made for this for this organisation to take that next level, take that next step. Yeah, I unfortunately am with you. I, I don't want to see that as well, but that's that's the more likely scenario. I mean, even unless Davis Mills comes off and is – you know, world-class quarterback and starts lighting it up, you're still going to struggle with the defense we have currently. I, I think they'll improve this year, um, but it you got a lot to do with that, and that's building that defense up is going to take a couple years. Yeah, and I think that's the competitiveness on the defensive side of the ball. If you think the, the great defenses or certainly some great players on defense had covered, covered up so many offensive frailties up until in, until that that point. I think, it, and just to, to wrap this kind of bit up, guys, Gary, I'll let you shoot on this one. Is there any of the quarterbacks that people mentioned earlier that you would take back in a swap as part of those picks? Or are you just purely addressing defensive players and picks, you know, when we finally sort of, you know, get, get some closure on the Watson situation? Has to be Tua. Has to be. He's, he's the only one that stands out to me. He just seems to have that grit in his teeth. You know, he, I think he's the one that could not be the next Sean Watson. The, the next to Sean Watson to Sean Watson. That's simple as. But I think Tua is the guy. And if, if we can get him in a trade with him going the other way, well then, happy days. You know, um, I, I was just wanted to ask Branson a question there. Like, what's... It's really hard to gauge the kind of how things are kind of towards the new season and what the kind of 
feedback is from the people in Houston and around surrounding areas. It's all I can really gauge it on is kind of like social network and kind of podcast. Like, what, what's the feeling, Branson, towards the new season? Are, are people excited? I've seen season ticket sales are, ten, are down, sales are down. Like, is there a general consensus that this is just going to be a bit of a nightmare or are people actually looking forward to it because it's a bit different from last couple More of years? More so on the negative. They're, they're definitely thrown in the towel for the year. Uh, the positives, they I will say, are the being able to go back and see a game. Yeah, the s- ticket sales are down, but just to be able to go out and experience it still, people are wanting to do that. And, you know, they are wanting to see the young talent, hoping, you know, that the Casario and Coley live up to the word competition and let the cream rise to the crop, you know, not have favorites and put people in dog houses like we've seen in the past, but to actually let the young guys play and see what we have. That's, that's where everybody's probably feeling. Yes. I think when you, when you saw last week for the, the game opener, you can get four pizzas, four sodas and four tickets for $200. I think that probably gives you a, an idea of where, of where season tickets are. I know I was I was at one point twelve thousand on the wait list, got got offered last year and obviously said no thank you. Um as it was it was at one point an investment um and a handy thing to have. Um but I think you, you can see that I know a lot of people I know haven't renewed um and given up their PSLs um and, and just have ta- I've, I've, I've walked I've taken a step back because like they feel like they've been let down. Um Vera, where are you on that one in terms of ticket sales? Because I, I think one of the biggest points of last year was when it came to get week four and there was 13,500 tickets for sale and they didn't even sell those um, b- because people knew where the season was going at that point. And I think that maybe helped and greased the wheels a little bit of the O'Brien thing. Not to a big degree, but I definitely think it would have it would have come in. I think you, you'll see that this year. There will be people, there'll be an element in there that people are just delighted to be there. But I think Vera, there's also going to be people there that that have been that have seen this and, and and knew where this could have gone, and are watching it. Probably going to sort of not unravel, but certainly not be very steady this year. What do you think, Vera, is going to be the reaction of people in the stadium when they get in there? Just say this team starts off two and eight. I think uh, people are already going in with some very low expectations to begin. But like Branson said, everybody's just happy to get out there. I mean, it's been a year and a half of misery with everybody being cooped up at home, not being able to go to any public places. So I think that that's the big, make this a family atmosphere and go and have a good time at the football game. Maybe not necessarily looking at the game itself because they're putting out a very poor product on the field. Um, but like but like Matt said, um, the sooner Deshaun Watson gets, you know, traded, um, the sooner we start, uh, and you know, the sooner we start accumulating these future draft picks, that brings the hope and the hype, right? Because right now, I think it's it's almost a done deal in Houston. Everybody's already assuming that Watson already has a foot out of the door, which he, which he does. Um, that they're hoping, like, you know, if, whether he can, they can find some off-field closures on, on those legal, legal cases that, you know, let's start building up the hype for the future draft picks. I mean, um, Miami did that really, really quickly in, you know, in, in a year when they dumped all their players. Uh, and and rebuild within a year, I, I think that's going to be very hard. But you know, twenty three, twenty four is is when um, we could start to see maybe a hope for a winning season. We'll go from there. 
it's just a quick one, but does doesn't it just give a good insight as to where the football team is and where the organization is? Is that they can't sell fourteen thousand tickets when people are literally coming out of a lockdown, being cooked up at home all day, and nothing to do, where they couldn't even be really bothered to go and see their football team for four or five hours and have a few beers. It's it's really sad, and I think we've had seasons before where things haven't been great too, but it's it's never been like that. That's just, it shouldn't be like that, but it's just, unfortunately, just the way things are. And I just really hope that we kind of come out of that because it seems to be that lull that we're in. This feels like the bottom. This feels like we're heading to rock bottom, doesn't it? Well, yeah, I've said, I mean, I've said that all off season. We've not been there yet. And I don't know when that'll be. And I think I, I put an article in podcast, podcasttexans.com and I thought there was three points that it might happen. One will be the Deshaun trade. One will be this season when it just can't get any worse. Or my fear is that you get all these picks and if you don't necessarily hit on them all, in three seasons time, you're kind of no better off. You've, you felt like you're at the bottom, but actually it gets worse and it's, you, you're just you're stuck in those bottom five or six teams in the league and, you've, and there's been a number of franchises that have shown it's hard to get out of that. I think um, in 2013, when the team was basically at the bottom of scraping the bottom of the barrel, I think people knew there was hope going in for the 2014 season, just because there was still enough talent on the on the roster and they just needed the needed a coaching change. And even in the 2005 season, they were like, yeah, you know, this was a bad year. Everybody knew it was the worst offensive line in in the NFL, right? And in this case. Outside of maybe Laramie Tunsil and maybe Justin Reed and Zach Cunningham, I can't think of Brandon Cooks. I, he's, you know, he's, he's a two-year rental is the way I think about it because I can see him being traded in a couple of, couple of seasons. Um, outside of that, there's really no other players to even talk about, right? Everybody, it's sort of a revolving door at pretty much all other positions, including wide receiver. So unless we are able to find some cornerstones, and that's the hope for this season that if even two of these players and um, Matt, I really hope Davis Mills pans out, right? But but I'm hoping that if if it starts with even you know, Davis Mills is like, yeah, you know, maybe there's some questions there. But if if the Nico Collins and the, and the Brevin Jordans pan out, where we have maybe a couple of more players to put our offense around, then use the 22 2022 NFL draft to find some defensive cornerstones, right? Whether it's a, with a pass rusher, whether it's a um, with a corner with a cornerback, because those seem to be like Again, very, very hard to find. So if you can find a pass rush on a cornerback in the next draft or through the trade process, if you go, if Deshaun Watson goes to Miami, then bring by bring um, Xavier Rhodes in with, with all those other picks, right? Xavier Rhodes, maybe I'm confusing the, confused, not Xavier Rhodes, but there's the other... Xavier uh, Howard, yeah. They're stuck the cornerback, but Xavier Howard, my bad. Um, but yeah, bring bring a couple of cornerstones in and that, that you know, a little bit of you know senior players in there and obviously bunch of young blue chip uh, players build a team around that and that that will bring in more people and you will see those um, you know people more people stacking up in the line to to buy season tickets people have a very short memory i think um i think rock bottom is the place we are in until deshaun watson gets traded i feel like we are stuck in the mud with no light at the end of this tunnel until that saga is resolved. I used to work for, um, obviously I'm in, I'm in England, I used to work for a sports team here in the UK and we had a similar situation once where 
two of our star players wanted to leave. They made it very publicly known that they wanted a transfer request. And the whole atmosphere around the club I worked for hit rock bottom. As soon as they left, it was a fresh start. Fans got excited again. They started coming back because it was about the future. It was about rebuilding. It was about what's next. It was about looking forward again. And I feel like we're in that same situation with with the Deshaun Watson situation. And I feel like this is pretty much rock bottom. And I'm hoping that it's resolved sooner rather than later so we can all start to look forward again. And to Gary's point, which is kind of what I just wanted to respond to, is that those ticket sales can start to come back again because people are looking forward to seeing the Brevin Johnsons and seeing what Nico Collins has to offer at wide receiver. That's That's my hope. The big point we've touched on there, guys, obviously we need to improve this defence. If we start taking off the at looking at the depth chart at the linebacker position, Branson, um, who'd be your starting uh, three linebackers in this Lovey Smith 4-3 that we're transitioning to? Obviously, Cunningham is is going to be starting. We know what he can do. Um, but, man, a couple of the ones, I mean, it's hard for me to pick between uh, – Gruger, Hill, Pierre Lewis, Kirksley, you know, I'm, I'm really looking forward to seeing what all three of those guys can do. Um, honestly, if they rotate those guys in around Cunningham and, and kind of go from there and just let that competition roll. We have felt like we brought in, what, like 4,000 linebackers this offseason. You know, hopefully we can hit on three. <laughs> Yeah, it's t- difficult. I think it's it's hard to it's hard to look past Neville Hewitt in some ways. I think a bit. I don't know if he's the um, the Ty Adams kind of effect there. Yeah. Um. And, and in terms of you know he made a lot of tackles, but uh, you know the, the defensive line in front of him was letting everybody through. So it it, it kind of meant well he you know he was in a position where he had to make those tackles rather than being off the ball. I think yeah for me um, I don't know where what you think Vera, but for me I think I've got Cunningham at the wheel here. I think. Kevin Pierre-Lewis, even though I know he was dropped by Washington last year, halfway through the season, but maybe have him at the Sam and then just because of experience alone at the start of the season, having Kirksey at the mic um, and hopefully um, and you've got Gruger, Hill, Hewitt and then obviously you've got Garrett Wallow as the kind of three backups to, to them. Do you, do you see it any differently to that, Vera? Um, I think Wallow is going to make the practice squad. I, I think he's got, some, he's got some deficiencies unless he just, you know, completely pops off the chart in the training camp. Even if the defensive is, defense is bad, I expect them to be making uh, an improvement for the simple reason that all these defensive coaches who are first-time um, coaches with this team are playing for their careers, are coaching for their careers. So, you know, Romeo Cornell didn't really care last season where the team was going because he was like, yeah, I'll, I'll go retire. Some of the younger coaches like Bobby Kings, who's done well generally with whatever he was given, I think people like him are wanting to have a longer longer stint in the NFL. So they are going to be coaching like there is no tomorrow. So I expect them to be making a jump. It might be from number 32 to number 25, but I'll, yeah. I'll take the jump. Yeah. No, I think Bobby King's impressive. I think when you hear him speak, I think he's kind of got a bit of a Mike, Bra- Mike Vrabel, Dan Campbell kind of feel to him. But uh, Matt, in terms of these sort of, um, I think probably Greenard and, and uh, J- Jenkins will be, you know, have their hand in the dirt and, on the, the outside of the four-man front. But in terms of the, the three off-the-ball linebackers, is there any of the guys that you've signed that you think um, that, that that may surprise people and we may find up, you know, a rotational role player in there, you know, at the linebacker core? 
I think um, who you previously mentioned, Pierre Lewis. I know he's I know he's bounced around a few teams in his time, and obviously, like you mentioned about Washington, but I think he comes with experience. And I think Vera made a really good point. Um, you know, these guys are going to want to impress, and I think you put him alongside Cunningham and Kirksey in that kind of rotational role. I think he's got the experience and he's made plays before. Um, I think he could. I think he could surprise a few people with the amount of snaps he gets. Yeah, and Gary, do you, is there any of these guys, or to Tay Davis, Harry Nickerson, Joe Thomas, or you know Nate Hall's been here a while? But do you think do you, any of those guys you kind of stick out to you and might make an impact um, on this team? And actually, and actually, do you think and do you think Zach Cunningham will have a bounce back year as well because he's going to need to? He's going to need to, yeah. But I, I, I still think he's sort of the best of what we have, and I, I think he's the one who is going to grease the wheels. I really do. I think you got to build it around them. Um, Kevin Pierre will always come into most people's conversations. And so, in, ter- in terms of that, guys, is there is there anybody that any, any of those guys you think will, that will be a special teams lock? I think Tay Davis is one of the guys that has probably you know got the most special teams pedigree. Brand. So, is there any of the guys that you think will, will come in and and fill that role um, in terms of special teams? So, they maybe keep six, you know, probably more than just the six allotted to to fill the three linebacker spots off the ball. Yeah, Tay Davis was was going to be the one guy I I pointed out for special teams. Um, I he's got a motor on him, and he's he's definitely willing to show and work on special teams, and that's that's what we need. You know, we got to have the guys that want to be on there, want to prove something, and and I see that with him, and and I think he'll contribute nice on special teams for sure. Yeah, I have seen in some you know, and Hardy Nickerson is the obviously kind of famous father in the NFL, and. Um, he's probably in that mold as well, and and yeah, and you got to think Garrett. Well, if he does make the roster, it'll be because he'll be special teams. He'll not be, I, yeah. From the tape I watched, I don't right. don't think he's necessarily got all the requisite athletic ability to to be an off the ball linebacker. And he might come in and and, and sub it and downs it maybe at the will or the or the Sam spot, but he's definitely not a, yeah, a starting Mike uh, linebacker in the NFL. Um, that that's for sure. Um, and obviously, I think, you know, and I think with these guys as well, I think you've got the guys that are moving from or transition from an outside linebacker and a 4-3 up to the, up to the line um, from the, the previous 3-4 of the Roma, Cornell and, and Anthony Weaver. And I think you, there's, there's probably a, there's probably a lot of these guys are going to get subbed out at times. And I think probably our biggest concern, uh, Vera, is the secondary. But to, in terms of its safety, it's probably the, the least, you know, with the offensive line, it's probably the least changed position on this roster. Um what do you make of the, the safety position, and obviously, and 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 do you see it being a plus for this team just because of the lack of the lack of turnover? Is there a bit of stability there that can maybe make that the safety position a a, a plus for this defense this season? The key thing would be to make Justin Reed the the free safety because that's his strength. He's not playing near the box kind of player, and I think that Cleveland game when Nick Chubb just ran past him was like saying. Yeah, he'll do it from time to time, but he's not meant to be near the ball. He's not meant to be a strong safety. He's a free safety who is very good at manning the sideline to sideline thing. And Lonnie Johnson, I think in the New England game, even though he was learning, I think showed that there might be some hope. Of, you know, he's a bigger guy, might not be the most mobile guy, but he's a strong guy who can who can take on the take on the running backs um, and and the smaller guys. So I think between Reed and Lonnie Johnson starting and um, the other safeties in Terrence Brooks and Eric Murray. Eric Murray was playing in a wrong spot. He was not a cornerback, but they put him in a cornerback spot. So I think if you put him, bring him back plus, 
His cap hit is also six million this year, so you at least need to hang on him for one more season. So between Reed and Lonnie Johnson as the starters, and and putting the other two guys, Murray and and Brooks, where maybe either Murray or even AJ Moore might play special teams. So um, you know that that's kind of where I see the 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 safety group. Justin Reed in the same bucket as Zach Cunningham. He was at a season. Probably countless run run fits that he messed up, and he just and he was trying to, and, and I know his, his position coach talked about that. He was trying to do too much, and um, he's perhaps overthinking. He's probably trying to guide Lonnie Johnson um, through games. I thought Lonnie Johnson looked completely lost at times. I think I probably said more about the coaching perhaps than it did about the uh, about his ability. He certainly got the physical traits there. But do you see those two guys being the num- the the one and two map um, as, as safety? I think so. I think they. They've both shown enough outside of last year's complete dysfunction. I think they've both shown enough in previous seasons. And and I think they've shown leadership traits and quality traits, which, you know, um, which the coaching staff all, all want to, to have on their team. You know, it's a defence that's lacking leadership. And I think they'll bring some leadership traits and, uh, to that defence. So, yeah, I think they're your starting, they're your starting pair for sure. And Branson, Shaheen Carter, obviously he was a big, you know, he, Nick Saban couldn't wait to get him back on the coaching staff. They bring him in for a tryout. He's a, is he a corner or a safety? And Jiggy's got a chance at the roster. To me, it's going to be special teams if he does have a chance on the roster this year. I don't, I don't see him, you know, coming coming in and and really jumping in front of anybody that we have there right now. Um, I mean, I, I could be completely wrong, obviously, but just just from what I've seen, I I really don't see him doing much other than special teams and every once in a while getting in. Yeah, I think, I think you're probably right there. It's, it's probably good, as you said, Laurie, Laurie, Laurie and, and uh, Justin Reed at the top, A.G. Moore, and he, A.G. Moore played a lot of snaps until he got injured last year. And uh, Eric Murray's probably a player that we're going to have to hold on to for contract reasons, and he's uh, one of a few, unfortunately. Um, put Whitney Marsalis and Brandon Cooks and a couple others in those in those buckets, you know, rather than getting young developmental talent on the roster. But probably what's at the weakest in terms of the cornerback position: Bradley Roby, Terence Mitchell, Desmond King, who's maybe the most interesting value signing of the off season. Um, beyond your top three guys, where do you, they kind of pick themselves? Where do you see this uh, roster shaping out at cornerback? I think, um, I think. Hargreaves and, and Tavir Thomas are, are there uh, for me. Uh, well, Vera completely disagrees with that. Um, <laughs> I'll let you say why in a second. And, and, and I think uh, Traymon Smith is is a potential uh, someone who could who could who could come in and do a job as well. But I think um, I think it's a, I think it's a drop off from the three that you listed there um, to, to the kind of to the backups that we've got, and it's that depth issue which we've always had. That I feel is the issue with this position. Positional. Um, if Hargreaves is still on the roster on the fifty-three, it's not his fault. It will be on the coaching. Um, but I think Keon Crossan, uh, he's got a limited ceiling, but he's still a better. I, I still think he played better last season than Hargreaves. Both of neither of them should have played that many snaps. Yeah. But I think there's there's something to with Keon Crossan. Hey, you are the backup guy to Roby, and you know, as and when we need you for relief. Come and come and play, um, Cornell Armstrong. I think he did a bunch of special team snaps last year, so he might be one of those. Mike, not going to say Michael Slater because Michael Slater is, is a is a super, uh, um, very very qualified, one of the best special teamers. But 
Um, he might be one of those. Uh, he might be the gunners uh, among the cornerbacks who just chases down whenever they're doing the whenever they're punting or or kicking off, right? And so that that might be my um, five corners I have right now. Yeah, and T- Terence Brooks is a name that's kind of got some buzz brands in local prowler TCU. Do you think he's got a chance? Special teams and maybe kind of fill a backup role. Yeah, uh, I mean, I think in just from our experience, we're going to take as many cornerbacks as we can, you know, whether it's one extra this year to and take one less somewhere else. Um, I do think Terrence Brooks is going to make it as a special teamer. Um, I do like what I see. I, I'm with Vita. I like crossing. Um, I hope to God Vernon Hargraves is not on the, the roster. Um, I, and again, yeah, like you said, it's not his fault. Um, but none of those guys should be starting. By any means, we we've got it. We should know that by now. They're coming in to give the guys a break every once in a while and, and to play special teams. You know the guys the guys you're wanting starting your your Bradley Robies your you know hopefully Desmond King comes back to form maybe your Terrence Mitchell. Um, you know I I'm actually looking forward to seeing what John Reed does this year. You know he's he was a scrappy little guy and if he can be the inside cornerback there then that would be great. I, you know, I liked what I saw on tape from him and, you know, hopefully he, he had a full year of learning. Um, I mean, not necessarily learning from the guys that were there, but just learning the game in general to be able to jump in and, and do some. Do yeah. Some I think John Reed's one of the guys, you know, and Jonathan Grenard's in the same bucket. And so is a few others, Vita, but do you think uh, John Reed's got a, got a future as a starter because in the limited snaps he did play and ironically week one and we didn't see him for the rest of the year. He looked like he belonged. He certainly didn't look out of place like some of the guys we had to watch later in the year. So would you, do you think there's a, a player there that we've just not given the exposure to this point in early in his I career? I think so. Um, I think he's got limited skill sets. He's not, he's not, a, he's not the tallest guy. Um, but I think he's got, he's got potential as the slot uh, corner behind Desmond King. And Desmond King is about as good a guy as you want to learn from, learning that, learning that position. Um, but it's, it's, yeah, like uh, Bronson said, you know, if, if people like uh, um, Nick, uh, I mean, Hargrave still makes it to the roster, it's not his fault. But I think there's, I will not be surprised if right when the cuts start happening, that they trade uh, player for player swaps, like we did with uh, Martinez Rankin and uh, that running back we got, who was great. So, um, you know, I, I wouldn't be surprised if yeah, Carlos, Carlos side, yeah. So I wouldn't yeah. be surprised if something like that happens right at, Right before the right before the cuts happen, so they might just do a player for player swap, and that person makes it. So I think on the cornerback um, roster, I think there's still a spot that it could be a complete surprise. And one final thing. Yeah, I think we'll probably pick up some. One one final thing. Bradley Roby is going to be out for the first game of the season because he still got a service last game of the suspension. So it'll be interesting to see who starts week one across from Terrence Mitchell. That'll be interesting. Yeah, any ideas on that, guys? I've certainly thought I couldn't tell Probably you. King. That King would be my guess. On the perimeter? Because he's been traditionally a slot guy, uh, yeah, King. Just, I mean, well, look at Roby. Roby's supposed to be... Yeah. So was Roby. Roby was brought in more as, a, more as a slot guy, but we've had him on the outside. Yeah, I think I think corner's definitely the, the position that will cause us most concern, and I don't think we've done... Anywhere near enough to try and address that um, this off season. I think that's you know I think w- when you can't 
you can't cover and you've not got much rush. I think the 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 outcome for this defense is pretty well determined. I think when even if you just take one, it we took one injury last year when Robbie went out and it just and the position just completely collapsed and it was it wasn't even serviceable uh, prior to that. But um, but guys, just going through a bit of detail there in the roster, appreciate appreciate your input. Um, if I was to ask you one question of this and of all the things that have happened to this football club in the last three years that have kind of led us to this point when you sort of go through a rather bare defensive depth chart there. If you could change anything, Gary, and you had your time again, if there was one thing or one decision that this football team's made in the last, in the, in the, in the recent memory, what would it be? I know it's, it's, it's an easy thing to say, but I, I thought Bill could have went a little bit sooner. I think that's probably one of the bigger things. And I think the other big thing was the Larry Mutunzel trade. Um, I think sometimes we just have a habit of giving away the house for absolutely nothing. So they're the two things that stick out to me. Yeah, I had um, I had uh, BOB going sooner as my, my point on that. Um, if I had my time again, I would have got rid of Bill after the Chiefs game. Go into the go into this. He's hit his ceiling. You know you've absolutely bottled it in the playoffs. It's time to go. Um, I feel like if you'd have got rid of him, you could have brought in a fresh head coach. You know, if you looked at, you could potentially have Watson, Hopkins, and Watt all still here if you'd have done that. But it just didn't work out that way. And um, that kind of six month stretch that he kept him around has effectively put us in the position we find ourselves in today. Vera, would you would you fire Bill after the uh, the Chiefs game? I probably would have, if it was up to me, I probably would have given the bullet after the Colts game because I felt like that performance that night um, in the first round of the playoffs was even more egregious because the actual quality of the defense um, and the quality of the offensive players um, that were on the field that night, you know, there was that the team in twenty nineteen wasn't anywhere as good as the twenty eighteen team. So to, to go out there and, and struggle to put up even two scores, I just I just thought that that was probably showed the ceiling of of him as a football coach and, and more more so his coaching staff. The move for me that sort of started the downhill move was the trade of Dwayne Brown. If they had just paid him, I know he wanted to get out of Houston because his wife had a job on the West Coast, but you know, it's it's all about seeing the right number. He was being paid nine or ten million. If and I know he had three years on his contract, but if you had given him 12 or 13, he's getting 11 right now from Seattle. If you had given him 15, he would have been so happy to stick around back here instead of paying 22 or 23 million per year to Laramie Tunso. You wouldn't have traded Duane Brown away and, and then watched your quarterback get sacked 65 times in a season and then feel the need, oh, we need to go get a top three tackle. You don't need a top three tackle. Maybe a top 10 would do. And that would have, yes, it might have, uh, you know, and really, they didn't do anything with those picks they got back from, from Seattle for they got Lonnie Johnson and I don't know what who they did with the other pick. But if they had kept Dwayne Brown, then they could have just focused on maybe some skilled players. Um, and, you know, between that and giving up third round picks for Gary on Conley, who was going to be cut anyway, and our third round pick for Duke Johnson, this was stemming from right from the time when Rick Smith, I think, went on, you know, a personal leave because his you know, wife was wife was in the hospital at that point of time. I think it started right with the trade of Dwayne Brown and everything else was downhill after. 
Branson was was Dwayne Brown's trade the the biggest domino, um, and I suppose that begs the question: Should O'Brien ever have been given that extension? Uh, no, I don't think O'Brien should have been given that extension. Uh, but for me, I, I'm going to say letting go of Brian Gain. Not that I not that I thought he was doing a great job, but as soon as he left, the power shifted completely to one side, and that's you lose Hopkins, you lose you know. You've seen history go from there. If he stays, because they prematurely dumped him thinking they had Nick Casario already in the bag, and then tampering issues happen, you know, you keep him on and maybe he's at least able to say to Bill, hey, you can't do that. Hey, deal with it. Just because you personally have an issue with him doesn't mean we have to trade him. Or they come to some agreement. Maybe Hopkins is still here. And then you get Casario the next year. Then you let Brian Gain go. But to me, as soon as they let Brian Gain go is when it went south because from there, Bill O'Brien took over and should never have been in both roles. And Matt, do you think the the sliding door moment was was Casario? Because I, I, I often think that when you watch the way Casario's operated so far, and it's a limited sample size, but it just felt like O'Brien saw that as the model to be successful. He'd be reasonably aggressive, doesn't mind turnover. Um, but but certainly from their history working together, it felt like O'Brien perhaps modelled himself on him. And if he'd have got Casario one or even the second rather than the third attempt at bringing him into the building, do you think do you think that would have been enough checks and balances? And it might have been the fact that he had to let his friend go and bring in a new head coach. But would that have left as a more solid foundation that you could have got a genuine bona fide head coach like Eric B. Enemy? Um, like Brian Dabble, you know, all, all the big names that were linked, Robert Sala, watched a video of him the other day and like it just looks like that building's all moving in one direction. Was 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 Casario's first two failed hires perhaps even a point that could have just not left us in, in probably the, the bottom of the pit that we're in right now? Yeah, I feel like the thing that sums it up for me is that they didn't understand the rules about how to approach him. And, and do it properly you know that they they hadn't thought through the tampering issues it, it felt very shotgun it felt very shooting from the hip um you know we're not happy with brian gain so let's go after this guy oh no we've got that wrong oh no and then oh tampering charges and and it felt like from the leadership from the top and obviously you know we know that the situation with the, you know the mcnairs and it isn't isn't fantastic um but yeah i, I feel like the lack of preparation around that first pursuit for for Nick and the team around O'Brien who was advising him at that time, you know, and how to approach that situation and how to go after and replace your general manager led to a lot of a lot of what's happened. And and I think I've been, you know, like you said, limited sample size, but Nick has 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 done what Bill couldn't um, and done it properly. And yeah, I think we've been in a very different situation had had he got what he wanted first time round. Um, I'm not sure O'Brien would still be here, but I feel like this team and this franchise would be in a very different position. Yeah, it's just on on Nick. I I kind of got the impression, and even if Bill and him were there at the same time, I kind of get the impression with Nick that he doesn't really have to kind of the balls, if you will, to make those moves within the back room and make those changes. I sort of get the impression that 
as long as they're all kind of singing to his tune and have his sense of how he wants his things done, he's happy for them to remain around and not make the actual changes, you know. So how long would it have been before he actually would have shown build the door? I think it would it would have been quite some time because I think once they're all singing to his tune, he's, he's content with it. And that's just the the immediate impression I've got of of him in the last three four months. I think um, all New England Patriots know it was a matter of time before Nick Casario got hired by one of the teams. If the Texans had maybe offered them a day three pick, maybe a day two pick, say hey we'll give you a late third round pick or something, New England Patriots should have been happy, and he would have probably prevented all the Duke Johnson and Gary on Conley picks and and the future uh, DeAndre Hopkins. But what is sort of surprising is Nick Casario and Jackie's to be both have the same agent, Bob Lamont. And the fact that he couldn't have done a simple check with his agent, like, hey, is this guy even available? What, what's his contract status? You think, I mean, I don't need to know what numbers he's getting paid, but you'd be like, hey, what is his contract? Does he, is, he, is it expiring this year? Is it, is it expiring next year? And they could have planned the exit of Brian Gaines said, you will be leaving after the 2019 season, not right before. And, and, you know, maybe some of these things, some of these embarrassments could have been saved. But um, it's all history. Hindsight is always 2020. There's not a whole lot, to be honest. Um, I'm just looking forward to getting those three meaningless games out of the way and getting going against against the Jags and just see where we are. Um, I'm looking forward to see how the roster the roster take shape over the next couple of weeks, but I just want to kind of get down to the brass tactics now and see what to get the guys look on the field because at the end of the day, that's what it's all about. But most importantly, I'm just looking forward to tuning in and seeing the packed energy getting behind the team that they can be proud of. And I think that's what we all just want at this stage. How uh, dependent, like, irrespective of the results and how we perform, whether where we lose all games or we have a winning season. I just want to be a team to be proud of at this moment. I think I'm just, I'm looking forward to, I wouldn't hit the fast forward button. I'm looking forward to just seeing the players back out on the pitch. I feel once the team gets out there, as Vera and Gary have said, you see some players that you like. I feel like the noise of this off-season starts to quieten down a bit because we start to talk about the product that's on the pitch. And I'm looking forward to seeing what this coaching staff bring. I think we are the total enigma of this season's NFL, we could be one and sixteen, or or, or eight and eight, and I, I, I'm really looking forward to seeing the journey that we go on. I feel like we are going to be a total unknown, and I think each week is going to be a roller coaster. But I am definitely along for the ride. And what do you guys think is best case scenario? The Texans' record this season: a seventeen game schedule. Remember. Not eight and eight anymore, is it? Um, <laughs> I just realised that when I said it. Seventeen games catching me out. Um, I'd like seven wins. If we can go seven and ten, I'd take that. Should keep us in a top ten pick, but should also show some improvement from last season. I'm even more optimistic than Matt. Um, I am worried about a certain couple of weeks of the season, especially before the bye week, but. We have four or five games after that. They're at home that I'm hoping we can squeeze a few in. But I'm going to go with, you're probably going to laugh, but I'm going to go with an 8-9 season. No, I think I think for this season, either we need to be really good where we make it to the playoffs or we need to absolutely be at the bottom of the barrel. 
um, where we are picking in the top five. Um, and I'm not saying it has to be a quarterback. It could be K1, Thibodeau, or the best you know, defensive back that there is out there. We'll, we'll figure that out. Um, I am hoping uh, 5 and 12 or anything above that, I'll take that as a bonus. Because right now, I think Las Vegas is pegging us at four games. I'm like, four games? That's a lot of games. But um, five games um, with maybe two wins within the, within the division. I'll, I'll take that. Well, certainly there's some probably some more optimism there than perhaps as you as you said the bookmakers will give you this off season. But thanks again for your time, guys. Much appreciated this evening to chat and come together and make some sense of all this kind of uh, mess and all these uh, all all this drama that's surrounded this team this off season and last and perhaps the season before that. But we thanks again everybody for listening. If you're not already, check some of our articles out in podcasttexans.com. I've got some off-season piece in there which continue to be pertinent right through until we get to game time uh, check us out please share review and like the podcast social medias etc helps people find us but thanks again for listening this week and we'll be back with another couple of these in the following weeks as we get through this period to the training camp <laughs>